Well, take with me your Bibles this morning. We're turning back to the book of Hebrews in the chapter 10. In the book of Hebrews in the chapter 10. And I pray that as we come to the Word of God, we do so even expectantly as we look to the Lord for that which He alone is able to do amongst us. And we pray that the Lord indeed will minister to us uh, in this hour. Hebrews in the chapter 10. Let's enter in at the verse 19 of the chapter. And the Word of God says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We pause there, of course, to remind ourselves of that which we have been reflecting upon and considering now uh, for entering into our third week. For we're looking at this triple exhortation that's found in this portion of Scripture here in Hebrews chapter 10, as the writer of the Hebrews uses the repeated phrase, let us, let us, let us. And so as we've given ourselves to this consideration, we've done so against that backdrop that we have come to knowledge and understanding of what is the most important thing in our lives, that being our view of God, our belief about God. For that uh, truly is crucial uh, for everything else in life. It is the outflowing then of what we believe to be true. It's the outflowing then of how we act, we speak, and we live our lives here below. And reflecting upon this, as I was in the study in this past week, the Lord has reminded me of the truth of what we are dealing with. For this understanding of God, and indeed of our understanding of God, it is the reason why we face so much trouble, why we face so many difficulties and problems in life. It is the foundation and it is indeed the root cause of trouble and problems in life. Many of the issues that I deal with in ministry, many of the problems that we come to as individuals find their root cause here in a lack of a right understanding of God and indeed an implementation then of our understanding of God. And really what the Christian is involved in, and indeed those who are involved in Christian ministry of any kind, what they're involved in day by day, the battle that they continually are engaged in is simply this, the battle against unbelief. For even amongst the people of God, there can be that spirit of unbelief manifested in the responses, the words, and the actions of those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore it is, I repeat, fundamental that I instill a right view of God in my life. And as a minister of the God, Word of God, I seek to instill that right understanding of God in the lives of others for you and I do not want to find ourselves consistently in that place where we are unbelieving believers. And that is a reality that we all can face and indeed find ourselves placed within. Every failure in the Christian life is simply because the individual, you or I, have failed to believe, have failed to rightly apply that which we do believe. 
You come back to the Lord's ministry and consider how that the Lord was transfigured before Peter, James and John. And we looked at that just a number of Sundays ago. And there as they enjoyed that time, even with the Lord, we know that Peter's desire was that they would build tabernacles so that that period, that season could continue. But the reality of life and the reality of ministry lay before them. In fact, it met them at the very bottom of the mountain. For as they came from that time that they spent with the Lord upon that mount, we know that they came face to face with a father who had a son who had within him an evil spirit. I know this father had the desire even to see that son cleansed, to see him rid of that evil spirit that prevailed within. And as the Lord said unto him, if he would believe, then it would be possible for his son to be healed, for to be restored. The man's reply was simply this, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And that highlights to us the reality that whilst we may have a firm foundation for our faith, we may rightly have appropriated Christ as our Savior and indeed taken on that title, that term, that type of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. There are times within our lives that we can live the life of unbelief. And our responses, our words, our thoughts and our actions can be ruled and governed and characterized by the spirit of unbelief. That's seen many times in the failures of life, as we've already mentioned. But those failures are because of unbelief. Why? Because we do not believe that God is bigger than all the trouble, that God is greater than all the problems that we face. We battle and we are so easily overwhelmed in life because we do not believe that God is able to deliver us from that tight spot that we find ourselves in. We do not believe that God is able to help us overcome temptation. We do not believe that God is all-knowing, all-wise, and never makes a mistake. Even as he determines to us the pathway of life before us. We don't believe that God is able to protect his children in all the storms of life. In all the difficulties of life. And you and I can readily identify a major difficulty we all face together at this very moment. We've come through a season of uncertainty, a season indeed whenever fear and anxiety grip many people, perhaps still does to a certain level to this very day. But even in that time, there has been many responses of believers characterized by unbelief. And whilst we're not here to determine whether or not one's response to the threat of COVID and all of the circumstances around it is right and wrong, we are here to simply say this, COVID has a lot to answer for. Because there has been Christians who have taken their eyes of God in a way that I have never seen in my entire life throughout these recent times. And you and I must understand that even in circumstances such as we have come to now, in this season of our lives, we must not allow ourselves to be characterized by unbelief. Because if we do, we will put a foot wrong. We will let our Lord down. And therefore we come back to the most essential truth that must not only have knowledge, uh, that we must not only have knowledge of, but also as we reminded ourselves, a clear understanding of, because just to know something is far removed from understanding it. For understanding is the implementation of it in our lives. Understanding it is the outworking of it in the things that we say, the things that we do, the choices that we make. 
And therefore God would have us not just to have knowledge of this truth, but to have an understanding of it. For a right view of God must begin to affect the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we worship, the way that we talk, the way that we text, the way that we lead our homes and our families, the way that we witness, and the way that we respond to life's uncertainties. If we are to individually make a difference in the world as God desires us to. Begins, of course, as we looked at in our first study with that correct understanding of God. What God has done for us in Christ. But then as we continued our thoughts last week. It also contains that definite positive action on our behalf. We draw near to God. And that's where we left off in the verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. God here is reminding us that the positive action that must be demonstrated in our lives, if we have that right view of God, and if we have not only the knowledge of the right view of God, but the understanding of it, that ability to respond and react, then we ourselves must draw near. We've said it many times from this platform, and we'll say it again. But you, are, you and I are as close to God as we desire to be. For God has done everything that is necessary. God has done everything that is needful. That you and I can spend time near to him in his very presence. Sitting at his feet. I know it's one thing to enter into the knowledge of what it means to be a believer. But it's a completely different thing to draw near unto God. And to live our lives close to him. And so the writer of the Hebrews here helps us understand we must have that right view of God. It's only uh, possible as we understand what Christ has done for us, what God has done in Christ for us. And therefore the positive response it should bring forth in our lives, number one, is let us draw near. But we continue for we come uh, to verse 23 this week. And this is the second positive action that should be uh, found in our lives as we implement this correct understanding of God. And what is it? Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. And so the writer of the Hebrews exhorts us here to another, another positive action. And that positive action is simply this. Holding fast the profession of our faith. Now let us consider this verse this morning and break it down into three areas. As we come to consider this obligation. This positive obligation to action that a right understanding of God produces. And let us first of all notice number one. The motive of our obligation the motive of our obligation why should we hold fast the profession of our faith well come to the end of the verse in the brackets there it says for he is faithful that promised the very reason that you and i should have within our hearts and find resplendent in our lives this desire to fulfill the obligation of holding fast the profession of our faith is because god is faithful to us because the God for whom, by whom we come and know this access and know this freedom and know this liberty to worship and to work and to labor for him here on earth. He is the one who is faithful in all his ways. What a faithful God have I. What a faithful God have I. And the reason that we get to discuss this truth today is because we know that faithful is he that promised. That's what his word tells us. Faithful is he, God Faithful is God who promised. 
And God is dedicated to this truth, this truth of being faithful and uh, being committed fully and wholly to his people. There's never been a time in our lives whenever we can trace the unfaithfulness of God for it's not to be found. There's never been a time recorded in the history of the church, the history indeed of the nation of Israel prior to the establishment of the church where God has been found to be unfaithful to those who claimed him as their God. To those that he even chose and called to be his children. And so we gather here this morning and we come even to our worship and we come with this knowledge, do we not? That even in this past week, even in this past number of months that we have traveled through, God has been faithful and will continue to be so. The very first introduction we have to God and the word of God tells us there in the book of Genesis that we have a God who has a desire to personally know mankind. We see it, of course, as he comes to spend that time in communion with Adam in the garden of the Eden in the cool of the day. And that teaches us the truth that God desires even to have that relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with his people. And as we travel through Scripture, we see that the testimony of Scripture never changes in this regard. God is faithful in all his ways, and God desires even to manifest his faithfulness in the lives of his own. He does so by, of course, the providing of the blessings that the knowledge of that relationship with God brings and produces come to the life of Abraham. And we see how God was faithful. God was faithful even to bring him out of the land of Ur, the Chaldees, to lead him even forward in a plain path and indeed to bless him and to bring much benefit into his life as the years and as the days progressed. We saw that as God promised to give him a seed, to give him even that understanding that a people would come for him, that even though Sarah was old of age, yet she brought forth that promised child. God was faithful we consider the life of Isaac then we see that God maintained that faithfulness even to those whom he had chosen to be his own how that he continued to guide him and provide for him we know that Isaac himself was one who knew the provision of a wife that helped me from God himself I being in the way the Lord led me was a testimony of his servant come into the life of Jacob and we see again the reestablishment of the covenant the promises that God gave to his own and God was going to make of Jacob a great nation he changed his name to be Israel the father of the or the father of the nation of Israel and so from him from his loins was the fulfillment of all that God had promised he was faithful in all his ways Come to the life of Moses and we see how God was faithful unto him despite the years of wilderness wanderings and the backslidings of his people. Moses knew the continued hand and provision of God in his life day by day, time after time. Come and consider then the entire nation of Israel, how that God blessed them in the years of apostasy whenever every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Yet every time God raised up a deliverer in the form of a judge. And delivered them from the hand of their enemy. The cry of the people was for a king. And God heard that cry. And in due time and due season appointed even Saul to be king over Israel. And then David. And in David's life we see a re-establishment of another covenant. The Davidic covenant. The fact that of the seed of David there would not fail to sit upon even the throne of David. A seed from David. And that is, will, has seen its fulfillment and will continue to see its fulfillment even in the coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a faithful God 
You come right through the Old Testament then and we come to the days whenever the Israelites transgressed and God brought that judgment upon them. And we've looked at in the book of Lamentations already in our previous studies on Sunday's mornings how that God is described as being faithful. Despite the fact that they found themselves in captivity, they knew that God had righteously judged them for their actions, for their misdemeanors of the law, but yet through it all, God had been faithful to them despite the testimony of unfaithfulness in their lives. It's of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, for they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That was the word of Jeremiah the prophet. And so we were reminded continually right down through Scripture that God, our God, is a faithful God in all his ways, in all his words, in all his doings. And you and I are recipients time after time after time of the faithfulness of God. Come to Exodus in the chapter 34. Perhaps there's no greater testimony of the faithfulness of God than by his very own words. For as he appears unto Moses for that second time in Mount Sinai, as the law is given the second time, after the first time, of course, we know that the tablets of stone were broken over the false idol, the golden calf, that Aaron and the other Israelites had made in the absence of Moses, and therefore there was this need for the second inscription to be given. But come down to verse number 5, and it tells us, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And that word truth that's found there in the Hebrew is an unique word for that word truth is sometimes uh, defined for us and indeed translated for us as as we find it here in verse 6, truth, but it's also found and translated for us in other passages as faithfulness. And so the Lord himself is saying, I, the Lord God, am merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and faithfulness. And so he's reminding Moses that despite this recent transaction of the children of Israel, he is faithful to his word, he is faithful to his promise, and so he will establish his covenant, his law, among them. And so we come this morning and we answer this exhortation that's given to us, this second of the three exhortations. Let us hold fast. And why should we answer? Why should that positive action of holding fast the profession of our faith be the testimony of our lives? Because God is faithful. For faithful is he that promised. Hudson Taylor wrote in his journal as he contemplated even the great need of the China Inland Mission that he himself had established And yes, there were many who had responded to the call. There were many who now were either making their way to China or indeed found themselves in China in response to how the Lord moved in their lives. And he himself felt that great burden upon his life, that great burden even upon his heart for their needs and indeed for their safety. And he himself carried that burden and he carried it day by day. And yes, the weight of it was heavy for he was a leader. He was the establisher of this movement. He was the establisher of this mission effort. But nevertheless, as he contemplated even the God who had called him to serve, who had led him even then to call others to serve, he wrote, noted these words and said our heavenly father is a very experienced one he knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning 
But remember, he sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I don't anticipate three million missionaries coming to China, but if they did, I know this, we can depend upon this promise today, for God's work done God's way shall never lack God's supply. And so Hudson Taylor was one who reminds us, even in his life's experience, of what it means to be fully understanding of the truth that God is faithful. And thereby in Hudson Taylor's life do we not see an example of one who responded positively to this exhortation? I believe we do. For he himself knew what it was to hold fast the profession of his faith, to labor, even unrewarded, for the God who had called him. And so we come to not only consider the motive of our obligation, but let us consider secondly the substance of our obligation. This obligation, remember, of holding fast the profession of our faith, what is its substance? It's simply that, the profession of our faith. That's what we're called to do. This is what we're called to hold on to. This is what we're called even to hold near and dear and to hold fast without wavering. It's a profession of our faith. It's a profession of our faith which confirms that we are truly the children of God, is it not? We've considered this in previous studies in the book of James, the book of Hosea, the book of Lamentations, and indeed recently in the book of 1 John. And I trust that as we come to consider this afresh, that we are picking up what God is putting down for us. For this is a reoccurring theme that God is bringing back us back to as a fellowship in the word of God that we cannot claim to be the people of God simply by the words of our mouth. But it must also be the manifestation of the work of our hands. By their fruits ye shall know them. Faith without works is dead. Indeed, if ye are my disciples, then ye will keep my commandments. All truths that we have dealt with In previous studies, God is reminding us here once again, this must be real. It must be found in our lives if we are to be true to our profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the summation of our Christ-likeness is never in what we say. It's always in what we do. We can protest all day that we are saved. Because of some decision that we made in years past. But if the reality of our actions does not confirm that truth. Then I I do urge you to consider whether that truth is in fact a truth in your life. We must by our words, by our deeds, by our thoughts, by our motives. By the things that we commit to do. By the things that we do end up doing. We must ensure that the reality of our actions measure up to that which we profess. Therefore, we remind you once again from the word of God, lovingly and tenderly as a shepherd should, how you live your life is far more important than what you say. Now in this verse, we find a word which some argue should have been translated hope. Tells us there in verse 23, let, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Now some have said that that word should rightly be translated hope. But as we come to consider this verse this morning, and indeed that argument for whether it should be faith or hope, I tell you that I can live with both. So if you're holding a more modern version of the word of God in your hands and it says hope, I have no argument with that. 
Because true faith always produces hope. True faith always produces real hope. Come with me to the verse 1 of the chapter 11, just a few verses down, and it tells us there, now the faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so as we have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are seeking to grow in our knowledge of God and his word, as we're seeking to grow ever more in that faith-like way, then we shall know the realization and the coming forth of real hope in our lives. The evidence of things not seen. This in verse 1 of chapter 11 is faith described. It's not the definition of faith as some would have us believe. No, it's faith described. This is the description that we put upon faith. It's a a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you turn across one more chapter to chapter 12 and verse 2, you have the definition of faith there. It's looking on to Jesus. And that's why I tell you that as we come to the problems and the storms of life, as we've made our way through this season of life, it is inexcusable for the child of God to allow anything in life to get their eyes off God. But how often do we feel? How often is that true? We are so overwhelmed, we can't see uh, the trees for the wood all around us, and we're just consumed by life's problems. The clouds have closed in. But we must look unto Jesus. And to manifest the true faith in our lives is to look unto Christ, to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ. No matter what life brings our way, no matter the challenge of today, no matter the fear of tomorrow, it's looking unto Christ and living our lives for him alone. And therefore, I tell you from the word of God that, that a manifestation of real faith results in a clear demonstration of hope. For it helps us understand what we're hoping for and who we're hoping in. And it is this that characterizes our living, should characterize our living here below. Can I tell you, no matter where you are in life right now, there's always hope with God. No matter that challenge that you are facing right now and you say, yes, I understand the realities of what we're all going through in life, but you don't know my personal circumstances. And that may be so. But there's always hope with God. There's always hope with God. There's nothing in life that is beyond his power. It's been well said that there are no hopeless situations in life. Rather, there are just people who have grown hopeless in them. There are no hopeless situations in life. Rather, there are just people who have grown hopeless in them. Oh, we're reminded of our obligation. And what is the substance of that obligation? To hold fast the profession of our faith. To live a life that testifies of real hope in God. And so not only do you have the motive of our obligation, the substance of our obligation, but consider with me thirdly and finally the challenge of our obligation. It's found in two phrases. Hold fast without wavering. Hold fast Without wavering. And so, as we come to consider this uh, second exhortation from the writer of the Hebrews, holding fast the profession of our faith, the challenge is that we do hold fast without wavering. Come across uh, to James in the chapter 1. It's just a few chapters over from where we are in Hebrews in the chapter 10. We have already, of course, studied this book of James together, and I trust that these words will come afresh to us, but 
They'll not surprise us because we've made our way uh, through them in detail already. But as we come to this first chapter of the book of James, we began to sing a song recently here that goes by the title of He Will Hold Me Fast. And we love to sing that song. We love to rejoice ourselves in the truth of that song. But the question that we must answer and reply to that song is, do we hold him fast? With sure and certain confidence, we can say that God will hold us fast. But does, does the reality of our lives testify to the truth that we hold him fast? James reminds us that this must be so in our lives. We must hold fast and we must do it without wavering. Why? Because come to verse 6, it tells us, well, let's start in verse 5 for context's sake. James chapter 1 and the verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, what man? The man that wavereth. The Christian that wavereth. If you're one who uh, has a profession of faith, but you're not holding Christ fast, rather you're living a life of ups and downs, there's always highs and lows, you're bouncing about like the proverbial bouncy ball, then there's something that is wrong about the foundation upon which you're building. There's something wrong about the manifestation of the profession of your faith. You're not positively responding to the challenge of holding fast. Because he says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We're reminded in the word of God, our eyes must be fixed. As we come to the problems and the trials of life, there should be no doubt in our mind that God is able to deliver us. That God is able to carry us through. As we come even to these latter days of earth as we know it. As in the last days evilness and evil men wax worse and worse. We should be certain of our hope in Christ. And we must hold fast to profession without wavering. There will always be times when we are tempted to waver. To let go. But here we're reminded don't. It's our obligation To not let go. Once again the word of God is highlighting to us. The human responsibility in living for Christ. This is a direct exhortation to you and to me. Let us. And it reminds us of our human responsibility in living for Christ here below. And what is it? It's the obligation that the word of God places upon every believer. The word of God places upon you. The word of God places upon me to hold fast. Even when it is difficult to do so, we must hold fast onto Christ. Some might say and rightly say, surely it's God that keeps us. And that is, without doubt, a truth, a real truth that we find in the word of God. That God is the one who holds us. That God is the one who enables us and gives us that grace even to see, even the realization of our hope in him one day. And either the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ or indeed of our awakening in his presence. But as always, I exhort you, don't maximize the sovereignty of God to simply minimize human responsibility. 
For I believe the word of God is reminding us clearly here that we have an obligation when it comes to profession, the living out, the continued living out of our faith. Yes, God is the one that keeps us. God is the one that holds us. But just as we've already dealt with when it comes to the matter of election, there is that moment in life whenever we choose God and we know the reality of God having chosen us before the foundation of the world, so too when it comes to the profession of our faith, the obligation upon the human, you and I, the saved believer, is to hold fast. As we come to consider this truth, there are many who will simply accuse this of being some sort of Arminian doctrine, but it's not. It's far removed from it. You look into any true Calvinist theologian, even the most ardent of Calvinists will tell you that there is an obligation upon the Christian to validate their security by holding fast to Christ. And therefore, in the outworking of the perseverance of the saints, part of Tulip, part of the five points of Calvinism, even an ardent Calvinist will tell you that the Christian is responsible for holding fast to Christ. And therefore, I'm not taking this from theology. I'm seeking to take this from the Word of God. I'm not guided by a framework of theology. I'm guided by the Word of God. And it tells me here that there is a human responsibility and that human responsibility that's placed upon me, that's placed upon you, is to hold fast. We're not to turn back. We're not to give up. Even when trouble, trials even persecution come our way. Come to Romans 8. Romans 8, and we see here, again, resplendent to us, the truth of adoption, something we've focused our thoughts upon throughout this mini-series here in Hebrews chapter 10. We looked at it a little bit, of course, in the recent Wednesday nights also. But this Romans, this chapter in Romans uh, deals with this truth once again and rehearses it to us. Let's read from verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we be also glorified together. Yes, suffering, trials, troubles are going to come in life. But continue on in verse 18. I reckon this is why we shouldn't give up. This is why you and I should positively respond to the exhortation to hold fast because Paul, as he writes, reckons that the sufferings of this present time, all the storms, all the trials, all the difficulties, all those battles that we're facing, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What is he speaking of here? He's saying the troubles and the trials of life that you think right now are overwhelming, they're huge, they're enormous, they're gigantic in your life, and they're all prevailing. There's no way out of them. They're nothing worthy of comparing. You shouldn't even give them a second thought to the hope that is in you, the hope that is in me, the hope that together one day we shall see Christ as he is and spend all of eternity with him. 
And I'm not seeking to minimize your pain and I'm not seeking to minimize your problems and I'm not seeking to make little of the difficulties that you face, but I am seeking to remind you that through it all, God is reminding us, keep our eyes on him, lift them off our circumstances and keep them focused on him and don't allow the trials and the troubles of life to weigh us down, to get us down, to make us to fall, but rather help, rather allow the word of God to help us overcome, knowing that one day, the glory of God shall be manifest, it shall be revealed in us. Oh, what a day. Well, Paul knew what it was to see many uh, turn even from the path that they'd set out upon. And so he writes to the church at Rome and he reminds them that there's a better day coming. For what it's worth, I do believe without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, I'm not making it at all something that you have to believe, but I believe without a shadow of a doubt in my mind that Paul is also the writer of the Hebrews. And that's why I believe that he writes these things, let us hold fast. Why? Because he's seen so many travel the Christian road so far and then turn back. He writes those words, sad words, does he not? Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he notes, of course, others who stood with him, but then... He came to the problem, he came to the moment in life and nobody stood with him save the Lord. And therefore, as he writes, I believe, being Paul, the writer of this, but nevertheless, as God leads whoever penned, humanly penned these words, God is reminding us, hold fast. Don't give up. Don't turn back. For one day, we shall stand before him and rejoice in the inheritance that he has given to us in Christ.